0: to Brain for Business, your podcast for all things brain, behavioral and organizational science. We are delighted that you have joined us today. As always, to listen back to past episodes, make sure to check out our website, brainforabusiness.ie and feel free to drop us a note via the website with any comments, feedback, or dare I say it, even questions. So to today's show. We all have the same number of seconds, minutes, hours and days in a week, yet some people seem to be able to use the time available and so much better than others. Perhaps they are just naturally good at managing the time, perhaps they're more organized, or perhaps they have simply spent more time analyzing and planning what they're going to achieve in their day. Our guest today is an expert in time management and has spent her academic career investigating how people think about and use their time at work. Yet in a recent Harvard Business Review article, she highlights some of her own personal challenges with managing time. And what she has realized through this process is not at all what you would expect. Dr. Abby J. Ship is the MJ Neely Professor and Department Chair of the Management and Leadership Department at Texas Christian University. She holds a PhD from the University of North Carolina and studies how people think about and use time at work. She has published widely in premier journals in management and is currently an associate editor at Academy of Management Review, the top theory journal in her field. In addition, to prior work at the Boeing Company and TV Guide. She has consulted with multiple Fortune 500 companies on topics such as time management, engagement and retention, and leading change. Abby, it's great to speak to you.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me to your podcast.
0: As I mentioned, in a recent article in Harvard Business Review, you talk about your own experience of time and time management. Could you perhaps start by telling us a little about your own experience and indeed what happened in 2019
1: right and as you alluded to in the introduction not at all what I expected uh, I would um, I would say what happened was everything that I thought I knew about time and time management uh, personally came to um, came to a front uh, and, and mostly in my physical health I was having a lot of physical issues and they kept accumulating through the years and uh, by about 2019, I I was contemplating, you know, physically, can I even work anymore? Right. I was having um, chronic insomnia. I had this chronic pinched nerve in my neck. Um, My hormones had gotten out of whack. Uh, My thyroid was off. I had some issues with malnourishment of all things. My, My B12 was low. My vitamin D was low and my doctors were not able to figure out what was going on. And, um, basically, they kept saying, you need to work less. And I kept arguing back. No, no, no you don't understand. Um, I, I'm not working all the time. I'm incredibly efficient and factor of things that I do. And so basically, in 2019, I, I had a moment where I was sitting on my computer trying to do some of my research. One of my very favorite things to do is you know, sit with a paper and my computer and think and write. And I couldn't think and I couldn't write. And, um, and it, it not, was not lost on me too, that, um, at the moment that I was sitting there, I was sick. I had lost my voice for five days straight, hmm. which I thought, Oh, this is fabulous. I'll just write even more. Um, and, but what it meant was that, um, you know, I'm sitting my computer ready to work and my body's saying, you can't, and I couldn't understand that. And so it started a process of exploration to figure out what was going on, because the doctors certainly couldn't tell me. They were treating the symptoms, but the cause seemed to be rather vague. And so that really made me look at, okay, what's going on? And ironically, that very paper I was working on was about a different way to interpret our time uh, in more of a subjective way than this objective um, time management efficiency kind of an approach. And so The things that I was writing about reviewing other people's work and trying to make sense of some of these things, I realized they actually could teach me as an individual Mm -hmm. where I was going wrong. And I found that, you know, my, my interpretation of time was part of the problem. So that's, that's 2019. It was preceded by a lifetime of maniacal time management, which we can go into as much as you would like, or if that sounds you know, a little bit scary, perhaps not.
0: <laughs> and, and Well, picking up on that, you know, I, I, my, my guess is you would be someone who had spreadsheets and apps yes. and, and all of those things to help you kind of focus and, and be oh, efficient yes. and, and, and manage your time as, as tightly as yes. possible. Is that fair?
1: Oh, beyond fair. You you have nailed it to a T and there's more. Um, so from the time I was young, I, I was just uh, obsessed with efficiency, how quickly I could do something, you know, very early on as a new driver. I would realize that if I made left-hand turns, they took longer than right-hand turns. And so I would schedule all my errands to go in right-hand turn circles, <laughs> Um, I, I would time how long it took to empty the dishwasher and, you know, oh, it only takes two and a half minutes. Therefore I should never procrastinate because this is actually a very quick thing. Um, but you know, as that became, um, uh, more in my work, my very first job also, um, we had to log our time because we, uh, at Boeing, we had, um, different contracts. So we had to say down to the, you know, 10th of the hour, here's where I spent this hour or this 10 minutes, you know, and you had to charge that to different accounts. And so I became hyper aware of time in a way that um, time was something that if I didn't feel like I was using it wisely, I feel like it was being squandered. And then as I went into academia and graduate school, along the way I had a child. I truly did have more demands on my time. Mm-hmm. And so I I felt like time management and efficiency, if I could get better, that I could, you know, both have great success at work and a life and squeeze every moment of productivity out of the day. So I, I would, uh, you know, the Pomodoro technique, I'm a huge fan of it. Work 25 minutes, take a five minute break. Um, I would, I was very regimented about my time. I was very aware of what I was doing and which activities I was doing at my prime times versus not prime times. I, I had so many techniques actually. And so every new time management book that came out, I was reading it and trying to interpret them all and uh, um, implement them all. And um, the the problem was, is I, I almost you know squeezed the life out of my calendar and, and myself and the yeah. process.
0: And so was it just about being as, as efficient as possible or were you also working extended hours, getting up at silly o'clock in the morning to get things done before, as you mentioned, your child woke up and staying up late? Were you also pushing things in that way?
1: No, actually, uh, because I knew all the research on um, how important it was to um, take breaks from work, how important it was not to work, you know, 12, 15 hours a day, we have cognitive limits, we have physical limits. Um, I actually was somebody that was, you know, I I wouldn't say, you know, I was working a 40 hour week, hardly, I was on the tenure track, right, I had Mm -hmm. a lot of work to do. But I wasn't working as much as many of my colleagues or co authors at other universities. Um, I was trying not to work evenings, I'm a morning person naturally so I would try not to work evenings. I would try not to work weekends. Um, what wasn't always successful, of course, but that was my goal. That was the baseline. And so what it meant was then the hours I was working needed to be incredibly efficient. I didn't have a lot of time to lose. And so I did things like, you know, I'd read that this famous CEO eats the same thing for lunch every day. So I started eating the same thing for lunch and breakfast every day. And I would eat at the counter because who needs to sit down? That's a few more minutes and then you're too relaxed. So fix food, eat food, move on. And, and those are the kinds of things that from the outside looking, you wouldn't have said, Oh, she's working hundred hour weeks. You know, clearly she's breaking down. Um, but I was breaking down because I wasn't, um, I wasn't respecting kind of the mental, um, grind that that sort of efficiency can take on you. Um, I would view, you know, a lunch with a friend as unproductive. So I wouldn't go to lunch or I would, if I had to go to a doctor's appointment, this is an hour not working, therefore it's not efficient. And so I uh, just would, would have these constant struggles for, well, okay, well, if I spent that hour there, how can I make it up here? Or I wouldn't do things maybe that were necessarily as fulfilling during the day, like to have lunch with a friend, for example, social support, we you know is one of the great coping mechanisms, but I would think, you know nope, eat quickly get back to work you know these are your hours to work because when you get home then you've got to be you know the efficient mom wife neighbor etc
0: and so when you hit those challenges in in 2019 how did you respond was it the case of just taking a break taking a step back or did you maybe draw upon your own academic insights to to maybe reframe your thinking about things
1: Yeah, I think the academic insights were what first raised my awareness that I was part of the problem because I felt like I had been very introspective about my time, you know I'm prioritizing my family right I'm prioritizing taking breaks and every, every year I must take a vacation, right? Mentally, I was never quite, you know, ramped down to enjoy that vacation. Um, But, but I was doing all the right things and checking the boxes, but it was so very clear by that experience in 2019 that something wasn't working. Right. And um, you know, each year with this, you know, added list of physical ailments and, you know, my immune system seemed to be decreasing. I was kind of projecting into the future, going, this can't continue, but I don't know what the alternative is, right? So, you know, people say you should work less. And I would think, but wait, I don't, I don't work 80 100 hour weeks, you know? Um, and so I um as I, I was writing this paper and I was kind of reading about these different ways to think about time, I thought, why don't I think about my time this way? Right. I'm only focused on this objective time management, you know, uh, manage every minute, manage every hour. And yet what I'm reading about both in terms of, you know, current research, as well as going back to some early philosophers about time is that the more meaningful, the more satisfying way to view time can go completely counter to some of those things. And interestingly, in ways that can make you more effective in the moment, So what looks like inefficiency may actually be quite effective in the longer term.
0: And from what you're saying there, I guess you're referring to that difference between what I've seen referred to in your research as objective versus subjective um, notions of time. Could you maybe explain that to us a little bit?
1: Yeah. So objective time is what most people think about when they use the word time. And by the way, time, I think is one of the most used nouns in in our English language. Um, It's so ubiquitous, right? What we mean by that oftentimes is your, um, uh, you know, minutes, hours, days, you've got it on your calendar, Um, you know, the way in which we structure our time. It's a view of time that is um, homogeneous, right? It's the same across all people. One hour for you is 60 minutes. One hour for me is 60 minutes. The sun comes up every day. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's these closely 24 hour cycles as close as they can get. Um, and our calendar has 12 months. January is the beginning of our calendar. Uh, these things we don't really think about, um, but they are fixed. They're immutable. Um, they're the same from individual to individual. So when we talk about time and we talk about time management, we're usually really anchored into this idea that that time is a thing. It's outside of us. um, It doesn't require interpretation. If anything else, it's one of the things we talk about the most, like, oh, you only got 168 hours in a week, right? We all have the same amount of time. Therefore, an hour spent here is an hour spent not over in this other area. So that's objective time. Subjective time is within any given moment, we have a human experience of time. And most people don't use that term subjective time, but from the uh, research world, that's a nice way to distinguish it. It's also being called the very circle psychological time or sociological view of time, depending on your, your background. And there's really three actions that um, my co-author Karen Jansen and I, she's at Henley uh, Business School. We found that in reviewing the research, including our own, um, when people talked about the subject of time, they were really talking about one of three things that occur in that human experience of time. So one is mental time travel. In any given moment, you're thinking back, retrospecting, remembering. Whether it's nostalgia or um, you know reliving past events, you're also forecasting. You're projecting into the future. You're planning, and or you're in the moment, enjoying. And your mind can go back and forth. And we know from um, neuroscience that at least fifty percent of the time, our brains are just scanning back and forth and back and forth. Some of my research would show that. Um, people do have tendencies and characteristics that they kind of anchor in on one or more of those time periods. In the US in particular, most people are um, present focused and or future focused. We don't really pay a lot of attention to the past. We have a, a shorter history as a country as opposed to a country maybe like China that has a very, very long past. And so therefore past traditions, for example, may be more important to them. So mental time travel is one action. A second action is perceiving time. So in this uh, approach, in any given moment, you may perceive your time as in this interview as going incredibly slowly. My goodness, she's talking too long. How long will this interview take? Whereas I'm going, (laughs) wow, that went so fast. We can have two different perceptions of the structure of time, even though objectively our time, we are gonna spend an hour together, let's say. The third um, action that we uh, uncovered is a really interesting one, and, and one I've been exploring even more since, is the interpreting time. So that's in any given moment, we're thinking about the meaning of our time. How are we spending our time and is it you know in concert with our values is it meaningless like this is a waste of my time and a lot of this goes to the way in terms of we think of stories you know and um you know what's what's the point um mm. you know i i just heard an interview with somebody talking about um he's an undertaker and that the most important thing you can do when somebody dies to complete that story and have some meaning for why do we even live, right? Not just this person, but why are we the people who are surviving? Why do we even live? How are we spending our time? And is that something that we're doing well? So those are the three actions of subjective time. And what, um, what as we kind of explored this more, what was different for us was that we kind of felt like objective time, so everybody talks about, right? It's everywhere. And yet, what we were seeing was that if in any given moment there are these subjective time elements, then all objective time is viewed through subjective time. So, in your current moment, what you're thinking about, where your mind is going, past, present, future, how you're perceiving time, how you're interpreting time, that's your experience. And that accumulates over objective time and it changes over objective time. But it's really important for us not to lose sight of the fact that. The human experience and how people think about that time, that's equally and perhaps even more meaningful to how people gauge uh, their lives, their performance at work, et cetera.
0: And so how did that change in perspective impact on your approach to things as, as you came out of 2019 and the, the, the various challenges that you faced?
1: Well, as one example, uh, you know, I am a very future-focused person, off the charts. In fact, um, I think this person meant it as a compliment. When I was in graduate school, my advisor said, I've never met anybody who could plan and project how long a project will take and what they'll be doing at what, what point in time, um, which is great. I'm not past-focused at all. In fact, I oftentimes have trouble remembering past events. You know, my family will say, don't you remember you were there? And I'm like, I, I don't remember. <laughs> Um, But one of the things that this research was showing us was that, yes, uh, you know, there are these characteristic tendencies for time travel to maybe, you know, for me, if I don't watch myself, almost always in the future moment, but that we can intentionally direct our thoughts to other time periods, particularly in ways that benefit us. So here's one very concrete example. I'm not very past focused, Sometimes what that means is I'm always focused on the next goal and never giving myself credit for what have I accomplished? In 2019, I just been promoted to full professor. That's a very long path in academia, about you know, 12 years, sometimes more. And um, all I was thinking about was, what were the research projects I was going to do next? What was the next you know accomplishment? Did I want to write a book? Did I want to do this, that? And what I never really stopped to think about was, what a great path and what have I contributed so far and how in this moment can I just enjoy what I'm doing, you know, putting past present future together in this narrative that makes a lot of sense. And so um, that's one example that I I found was, you know, I I could do things even not that's more macro, right. Time travel over the course of my career, but I could even do things like instead of having a to-do list, you've heard of a done list. Mm. Right. So I started um, a file on my computer and I updated a couple of times a year that I look at what accomplishments I've made just in the last, you know, week or month or semester for me, uh, given that it's how I'm kind of evaluated. And what I found was that I would, um, you know, savor those accomplishments or give myself credit for, wow, you know, I didn't write a paper but i mentored this person for four months. That doesn't maybe go on my annual report, but that was a very meaningful use of my time. And I can go, I'm really glad that I did that. I want to do more of that. So this, you know, kind of experience of time and directing my thoughts and and looking at what were my temporal blind spots and kind of course correcting them. So that's just one example of using time travel. I mean, there, there are plenty others that we can talk about.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, without getting too far into detail, but did, did that help you come through the, those challenges and lead you, if I can frame it that way, to a, a better place?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. So for one thing, you know, I wasn't on this constant drive when I thought about time management. If, if every hour had to be used so efficiently, every minute had to be, you know, this is work or this is not work. Uh, one of the things I had defaulted to was a belief that okay, I need to be sitting down at my desk by eight a.m. I, you know, I cannot leave my office until after five. If I leave before five o'clock, well, what am I doing? That's you know, that's that's not a full day. And um, one of the things that I, I found, for example, was that um, you know the, the research on events hmm. that if we work toward the schedule of events instead of hours, we can actually be more productive. And so um, maybe at eight o'clock I sit down and I'm not ready to write on that paper, so I do something else. And then I make my way to that paper and I get into that paper. And instead of working on this paper for an hour, let's say, or um, you know, prepping my class or having a meeting for a fixed amount of time, I could do it based on feel. And what ends up happening that your brain kind of naturally wraps up when the event is done, as opposed to saying, "Oh, it's ten o'clock now, I must shift to this other activity." So there were some very you know, tangible um, daily things that I shifted, that I said, you know, who came up with these rules, these rules that, you know, you work from eight to five, you take a break for lunch from 12 to one, you work on projects for an hour at a time. Um, and I'll be honest, to this day, when I get a lot of things on my to do list, I'm still have to fight that tendency to want to overmanage and over schedule. But what happens is, is when I allow myself to get into the flow of the events, um, as much as I'm able, right, I'm department chair, so I'm still called to other people's (laughs) schedules often. Um, But as much as I'm able, I can my my brain can get into the experience more, I can experience flow more often, which is notoriously hard to create. Um, I can, you know, move away from Other people's fixed um, expectations of time, deadlines Mm. is another one. I mean, I just, I have really been playing through the last couple of years with, you know, somebody says, can you get this to me in a week? Well, is that a firm deadline? You know, do you really need it in a week? What about two weeks? Um, And what you'll find is that many of these kind of things that we think are fixed and immutable about time, they're completely socially constructed. So schedules of work, um, days of work, uh, you know, the week itself is a purely human uh, construction. But even the length of our meetings, you know, you can schedule. Look at the content of a, a meeting that somebody asked you for, and you can say, you know, I know you've asked me for an hour. This looks like about twenty minutes. Let's block thirty and see if we can finish in twenty. And sure enough, meetings, you know, take the time that you give them. So when you kind of question um, the structure, the deadlines, what you find is there's a lot more flexibility in um, how you can use your time. And so you can be more effective and kind of work more to that that flow of the way that our brains naturally work than this, you know, structured time management, um,
0: hyper-focused. You you mentioned rules and, and you mentioned, say, these units of time that we, we choose to use are socially constructed. Now I'm conscious they go back um, historically, but is this obsession overall, my word, their obsession, is it, is it a modern affliction? Is this something which has grown up out of perhaps scientific management and then maybe being amplified by things like, you know, Fitbits and apps and, and our greater access to those sorts of things?
1: Yes, and my husband would be the first to tell you that I'm not allowed to have any more data uh, of how my body is working or how the schedule works, et cetera. Um, yes, I, I've been prohibited from additional data. I do <laughs> think that's true. I think there was, particularly you know in the last few decades, there was an emphasis on time management as well as an emphasis on uh, work-life balance. And so it brought into question, well, how long are you staying at the office and what in the world are you doing there? And, you know, why are you having to stay till seven o'clock at night? I think that on balance is good. And I also think that there are some individuals who don't know some of the basics about time management. And so some of these techniques are needed and useful, right? So things like, you know, schedule your most important work at the time when you're most productive. For me, it's in the morning. So maybe plan meetings in the afternoon, plan my writing in the morning. Uh, those are not bad suggestions. And many of the uh, the books and articles on time management, I don't think they are a problem per se. I think they're a problem when we feel like if we can just you know get one more technique or one more hack, that's when we'll really you know uncover some magic bullet. Um, I think the COVID-19 pandemic really brought this into question and really helped people see kind of where you fall in that spectrum. Are you somebody who used your time so well you didn't realize that time management was you know your basically your master or were you somebody that when that structure went away of going to the office and for fixed hours wow I'm kind of undisciplined. I think those are the people for whom the time management techniques and hacks really can still be beneficial. But I think what has happened is more and more of us, particularly people who are you know type A, high achieving, professionally very successful, and or have personal lives outside of work, you know, that we we want to do stuff, right? And so we want to fit it all in. And I think those of us, um, you know, that the, we're the people, myself included, that um, during the pandemic really said, wow, when you take this away, um, you know, take away the existing structure of what work looks like, you kind of get in this more natural flow. I can be more efficient at the same time as I'm working less. Mm. Um, and this is, you know, it continues to perplex me. I, I, I'm not quite sure how it all works, but I know that it does. Um, and, you know, things like last Friday, for example, it was at 3.30. I had, had actually an incredibly productive week. Now, normally, leaving at 3.30 on a Friday, like I said, time rules, um, you know, that's leaving early. Ooh, you're scooting out. Like, what are people going to think about me, right? Ooh, that academic who doesn't work very much, which is anything uh, further from the truth. But what I realized was, you know, how productive can I be? And what exactly am I going to do? You know, those are the times I make mistakes in my work. And what I would find is I have found that, you know, so let's say I left at 3.30 on a Friday, I went to do other things. I actually came back, and surprise to myself, sat down, did a few things very efficiently. And by the time I hit Monday, I was just as caught up. But I had had this wonderful break, you know, where I got outside. The weather was nice, um, and and those are the moments too. We know that um, it's when we have unstructured time that we get the benefit of mindlessness, not mindfulness, yeah. which is also wonderful. Mindlessness, where we allow our brain to wander. We come up with creative solutions. So I, I think it is a modern affliction. But we also we have some competing messages right now about you know savor the moment and value your 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 life outside of your work, but also be incredibly efficient. And I think um, I, I think we just have to select where we fall in that spectrum and, and what's helpful to us and what we can borrow and use and what perhaps is pushing us, like me, to the extreme in ways that are not physically or mentally beneficial.
0: That makes a, a huge amount of sense. I guess building upon that question about whether this is a, a modern uh, affliction, is there a, perhaps a cultural element to it? Is this something that you would expect to see more in, in certain countries and certain types of cultures than in others?
1: I think so. I'll be the first to say I haven't collected data on that, but my instinct is yes, because I think some cultures very much value. Uh, we know that cultures different pace of work. Uh, we know the different cultures value family, um, you know, personal interests, et cetera, outside of work. You know that work is a means to an end, as opposed to you know, in many countries like the U.S., work is your identity. One of our first questions when we meet somebody is, "What do you do?" Hmm. Right. And that's uh, it kind of signals what we think about that. Um, I I do think, you know, it, it doesn't mean that those things are fixed forever. I do think societies change and evolve, but um, absolutely. I see it. I say that, though. And what was most interesting to me was uh, when I published that article uh, and Harvard Business Review, uh, HBR.org I got emails all over the world. From all sorts of professions, people saying, Oh my gosh, I do this too. This is me. You know, thank you. Nobody's talking about kind of the downsides of time management. Um, and so I think, you know, we are a global enough society that yes, we have different cultures, but we're not independent and we look to other people and we take our cues from how others are working. And um I, I just think, you know, it's it's probably not only based on culture, it's also based on the individual and kind of what their aspirations are.
0: It makes a, a huge amount of sense. As, as we're kind of uh, winding up, is there any advice that you would have for anyone who is seeking to, to manage or, or utilize their time differently? And, and I don't say better, but, but differently. Yeah.
1: yeah, great choice of word. Um, one thing I think you should do is to consider that there's more than one way to look at time. So when people talk about how you use your time to really think about, okay, there is an objective element. Yes, there, there can be hours squandered. But if you look at it from a more subjective point of view, my 3.30 Friday, you know, technically I squandered those hours. Or you could say, I invested in them and I went by the feel of my energy. And it was that I needed to step away from my desk. I needed a little bit of sunshine. I needed to walk outside. And that in the end, I was actually more efficient, even though I worked less. So, thinking that there's more than one way to look at time, there's this objective element, but in any given moment, you can have this subjective time lens. I think that's one of the most important things. And then using that to help you question uh, the norms or these, you know, kind of rules about time, questioning whether you have created them, questioning whether the people around you have created them, and are they even working or beneficial? Um, I, I think. You know, what works for you um, may not be exactly what you're currently enacting. So really taking an introspective look at that, um, you know, I, I now view if I have a doctor's appointment, for example, what a great excuse to get outside, to get some sunshine, to listen to music in my car, on the drive, on the way over. What a fabulous break, because, you know, maybe I wouldn't take that break naturally. Um, but, you know, when I come back, I'll have that kind of rejuvenation. Um Uh, And then two last things I'll I'll mention, because these are the two, I think for me personally, that have been the most helpful is one is using that time travel intentionally, really thinking about where is my mind typically, and can I augment with the other time periods to tell a more complete story? So for me, it's, you know, being in the moment, I do have a mindfulness practice to try to get me not just thinking about the future, but also into the moment. And like I mentioned, some of those, you know, uh, uh, annual or or semi-annual updates. What have I done? What have I accomplished? Um, my daily done list, right. To, to really look to the past, finding, you know, where your temporal blind spots and and looking back. And then the last thing that I just think is incredibly important, and we just don't always think about it is really considering the meaning of your time. Uh, so I was asked um, several years ago, I've, I've been on nonprofit boards for a long time. And I was asked to do another one. And I thought, oh, do I have the time to do this? And I really thought about when I go and, and serve on this board, um, you know, that volunteer time, that's a meaningful use of my time. I value being a part of my community and giving back in that way. Is it productive? Is it getting me a publication? It isn't. But what I started to really pay attention to was every time I went to a meeting, I got such energy from the work that we were doing. That I would come back to work and somehow be you know, have a little bit of spring in my step versus had I stayed at my desk, you know, one more hour, two more hours of of writing, I actually may not have accomplished very much. So really thinking about what's meaningful to you and how you spend your time—is it with, you know, your your friends or family? Is it um, being outdoors? And thinking about ways in which you can synchronize that with your use of time at work to where you know, those two things kind of um, augment and complement each other. And then, you know, that focus on effectiveness, you may become efficient in ways that you had not anticipated um, that aren't just about eking out those, you know, time management hacks.
0: Yeah, great, great insights. If people wanted to find out more about your research, uh, I'll share a link to that HBR article we've mentioned, but is there anywhere else they could go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I don't have a, a, a book or anything that I could give you necessarily that way. I've got a proposal for one being considered right now. Um, but my website for TCU or on Google Scholar, you can just Google Abby Ship in either TCU, Texas Christian University, or Google Scholar. It has a list of all of my academic articles. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I intend to do more uh, in terms of that book going forward.
0: That sounds great. Professor Abiship. thank you very much for your time. It's been great speaking to you.
1: Thank you so much.